glistening in the lane. Snow is glistening. A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Oh, ho, hello, and welcome to another festive episode of Fire and Water Records, the music anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me once again, the dasher to my dancer, my brother Neil Daly. What's up, Neil? Hello? Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just messing with you. What's up, man? How are you? <laughs> What's going on, dude? Christmas pranks abound. wonderful wonderful (laughs) Uh, hey man how are you good i i I kind of forgot this was christmas i thought we were doing another um chicago bulls retrospective thing so we could i'm sure you've got your 17 more pages of notes for that one all all prepped actually yeah i wrote some more for part two but um (laughs) yeah no i guess it is you know come to think of it it is that time of year i think we should yeah let's let's what do you say? Let's do Christmas Volume 3. Yeah, sounds good. That sounds good. Um, <laughs> it is great to be back for our third annual installment of A Very Daily Christmas, our seasonal celebration of the songs that make our Christmas merry and bright. This year, we each brought five new songs to play for you guys and discuss why we like them, what the songs say about this time of year, and the whole spirit of Christmas. But we have also got a few bonuses along the way based on some of the listener feedback we received last year. And speaking of that, once again, you guys are great. We got a lot of great comments on the Fire and Water website, which you can always find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. That was reflecting on some of our holiday memories and sharing your own. Um, Just a really quick rundown. We got comments on last year's show from... David A. Gutierrez, Clinton Robison, my friend and neighbor, Chrissy Carr, Santaran, Chris Franklin, Diablo Frank, Lizanne Oswalt, Gord Tolton, Paul Hicks, Rob Kelly, and Ward Hill Terry. We also received additional likes and shares on Facebook from Pat Sampson, Gene Hendricks, Max Romero, Richard Field, Siskoid, Van Z, Hal Jordan, Shag Matthews, Sean Myers, Tim Price, Ted Kilvington, Jay Campbell, Ivan Chudley, Brian Linton, Abba Daba, Billy Dunleavy, Robin Moore, Sean Brock, Chuck Rodriguez, James Young, Sean Emmons, Max Traver, and Mike Zamkowski. Thank you so, so much, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, for supporting this podcast, and we hope that you enjoy this one every bit as much. That's pretty impressive, man. That's 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 it. Our 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 list of uh, fans is growing, <laughs> growing exponentially. So, yeah. yeah, I think we might be onto something here. Before we get started with this year's song selection, was there anything in particular kind of motivating your your picks this time around? Uh, any kind of theme or organizing idea? You know, honestly, that's that's a really good question. And I, I the short answer is no, not really. The longer answer is I feel like I'm still this annual podcast is still kind of in its infancy when I wasn't ready yet to spin off into strategic uh, genres or like to focus on my individual playlist, which we might ever, which we talk about every single year. Um, I'm, I'm still at a point where I kind of want to keep it random to not alienate a specific viewing set. You know, like once we mm-hmm. get to the, you know, the, whenever we get around to doing my Christmas Tecmo, you know, <laughs> trance podcast list, you know, there's a whole bunch of non clubbers that are not going to really be interested in that one. So I didn't want to lose, didn't want to lose that people yet. So long story short, um, no, I kind of, I kind of wanted to sprinkle a little bit of 
a little bit of it around. And much like our theme every single year, the tracks that I chose for this are by no means my specific favorite tracks. Mm -hmm. They're just either influential or they mean something or there's a reason I want to talk about them or something along those lines. Yeah, some of these songs that are going to be on my list, I've heard for the first time just within the last month or so. Because I, I, I did sort of have a theme, which is mainly just, I, it was it was really influenced by when I started making my list, which was like a month or so ago. Um, and it was just kind of more reflecting my state of mind and the state of the world and the country right now, what's going on. So the first couple of songs that I had that when I was putting my list together were much more bluesy and more mm-hmm. soulful. And I decided that instead of trying to balance out my list, I would just lean into that sound because that was what was making me feel happy at the moment. Um, so that genre and that kind of inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as like some really incredible get out the vote organizations led by many black women in particular. Um, I, I just decided, so my five songs are all going to be by African-American singers. Um, I didn't go with protest songs, so the connection to Black Lives <laughs> Matter is fairly superficial. Um, so you left that, off a of Bob Marley Christmas? <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> but that was, the, that was the theme, and it resulted in my list having a pretty consistent sound of blues and soul and R&B, so... Well, cool, because inadvertently, some of the songs on my list actually aren't too far off. They could have made your list, too. It wasn't yeah, a conscious yeah, choice yeah, on my part. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I really, you know, I think we'll talk about this at some point, and I'm sure we've referenced it in years past. But, you know, I've, I've always been heavily influenced by the Motown and Soul mm-hmm. Christmas period anyway. So those, those songs are always going to kind of filter onto my list, whether it be Jackson 5, Stevie Wonder, you know, even James Brown. You know, there's, I'm, I'm, that's that's a prominent playlist that I focus on a lot every year of my what nine now. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, then let us dive into our lists. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start us off because I I felt like you know we we joke sort of culturally. Everybody kind of jokes that Christmas comes earlier and earlier every year. It's in, <laughs> it infring, it overlaps Thanksgiving now and it's infringing <laughs> on Halloween and other things. And and you know we put the barricade down. You know you cannot celebrate Christmas before Halloween. You know we we will put an end to that. But right. I although like, although Target does Target I actually like, I, I I just I just I, you know, I laugh about this every single year. I'm always running out on Halloween day for some last minute Halloween decoration. That's just, I always have to do that. And every year it blows my mind because I'll go run into target really quick during the day on Halloween and there's no Halloween section anymore. It's Christmas already. So that's starting in October. Yeah. Yeah. But I, and I, I think this year in particular, um, just mm-hmm. because with Halloween and the election falling in just a couple of days, I think as soon as that was over, the country, our culture collectively just said, let's fast forward to the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Skip everything and let's just embrace Christmas. Let's get to it. We need some holiday cheer. Let's do this right away. I um, actually totally agree. It's funny because the, the usual people on my social media sites that complain about me talking about Christmas in November, those people have actually kind of this year in particular, I'm not getting yep. the same pushback. I'm getting a lot of people like, oh, I love that song. And I'm like... <laughs> you know it's november 4th right (laughs) (laughs) so so with the push to get to christmas as soon as possible uh i'm I'm gonna start us off the ironically titled waiting for christmas by john legend all the trees alive all the holly streaming 
The town has come to life Waiting for Christmas I still feel alone Searching for some meaning Until you come home I'm waiting for Christmas with you Christmas without you Long dark shade of blue I feel like I've been waiting Here forever All right, John Legend released a legendary Christmas album in 2018. Uh, I've listened to the album a couple of times and it it's good, it's not great. It's it's a pleasant album to have kind of on in the background while you're chilling out, maybe drinking a glass of wine or eggnog or talking to the family or yeah. something like that. Um and the the reason I kind of feel that way is I think the album holds together well as a whole piece, but I don't think there are many really standout tracks uh, that kind of elevates, uh, if you if you know what I mean. Um, and, and maybe the, my example for that was, yeah, I think yeah. the best song on the album is his cover of Please Come Home for Christmas, but... Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say that's one of the you know the top three best versions of that song. Certainly not compared sure. to the Bon yeah. Jovi one that we've done. Um, yeah. But not a bad album by any stretch. Um, it's produced by Raphael Sadiq from Tony Tony Tony. This song, I did not know that. That's yeah. actually cool. Nice. Yeah. Um, this song I really really liked um, though. This is probably my second favorite song on the album. Uh, it's actually this song was co-written by Daniel Wilson, who wrote that song "Closing Time" for his band Semi Sonic. Um, <laughs> And it's just, I mean, like once I once I decided to lean into like this kind of sound, I, I because I I was familiar with this album, I was like, yeah, I love John Legend's voice. I really like kind of like his his soul, his attitude, and and his piano playing and everything. And I just I wanted to do something with this, so I knew I wanted a John Legend song, and this one became the obvious because we've already done a, a version of "Please Come Home for Christmas." So that was it for this one. Cool, cool. I, I yeah. Um, I kind of, I, I actually agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm super crazy about this song in particular, but and it certainly it's it's not like it jumps above the rest of the album per se. But I like certain aspects of the song a lot. There are certain point things that I like. I like the fact that well, it's it's very John Legend and the fact that it's a stripped down solo piano song. But it lends that kind of stripped down solo piano one vocal take vibe lends itself well to the narrative of the song um and i'm sure we've talked about stuff in the past about you know there's we seem to and i don't know why it's not a conscious effort but we gravitate towards songs of like loneliness or you know like being alone on christmas or you know nostalgic christmas you know we uh, we favor the ballads i think Mm -hmm. we've talked about that before and this kind of this the lyrics to this song serve are served well by him in the way he sings his style of singing and and yet at the same time he sings it in a way that's kind of hopeful uh, you mm-hmm. know the the last stanza has a really nice resolution to the song you know where he goes from you know this whole this whole like precursor of waiting for christmas and it ends with christmas you know kind of thing um so i yeah i mean i dug it it's a good it's a good selection um i think we should also probably give a shout out real quick to the fact that john legend is the first african-american to win the egot 
<laughs> and for <laughs> for people that don't know that, that's winning an Emmy, a Grammy, uh, Oscar, and a Tony award. Nice. And he's the first African American to do that. So we got to give credit where credit's due. Very, very cool. Very cool. Um, to your note that yes, we have mentioned this. I think every Christmas episode, how we, <laughs> we kind of we favor some of the ballads and some of the more uh, somber songs and everything. Kind of like put us in that mind. Uh, I'm definitely going to come back to that before the end of the before the end of this episode because uh, <laughs> okay. I think I. I might have an idea of where that concept. I, I think I know where I was incepted by that idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I gotcha. All right. What is your first track from a very daily Christmas volume three? All right. My first track, like you referenced at the beginning, this is a newer track to me specifically. And I discovered the song through one of my buddies who, you know, very well, DJ Baron, AKA mm-hmm. New York's crazy Chris, who is way big into sixties music and has his own radio show. He's a DJ. And, um, he turned me onto the song and, and it wasn't at Christmas time when he turned me onto it, but I listened to it a couple times, loved it. It loved it instantly knew it had to make this list. So I'm going with Christmas time is here again by the flirtations. anybody's heart by saying Christmas time is here again is not the instrumental Vince Guaraldi song from the Peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) Christmas time is here! (laughs) Which ends up being like it's a small world the way it stays in your head forever. You can't get away from that song. No, I'm going with the, but the, the flirtations... I love this for a couple of reasons, and some of them should be no surprise to our, our listeners. The Flirtations were discovered. They're an early 60s group, and they were actually discovered. I did some recon on this, and they did. They were discovered as best Supremes impersonators. They were, <laughs> they, they were like a cover act of Diana Ross's The Supremes. I'm and, sure our listeners who have heard a clip from the song would never have imagined that. <laughs> right, exactly. And again, which I already referenced, I love this sound. Mm-hmm. So this type of sound mm-hmm. is so they went on they went on to open for like tom jones they released a number of albums uh with various lineups they had a rotating kind of like a in vogue or uh, something you know kind of rotating lineups thing but this song uh was they didn't release a, a christmas album it was just a b-side to one of their biggest hits i think it was called nothing nothing but a heartbreak nothing but a heartache something like that yeah heartbreak. Um, yeah. But this song is—it's very Supremes. It's very that Motown sound. And uh, to be honest with you, in a, in a perfect in my perfect world, this song would have been re-recorded by like one of the Ronnie Spector groups or yeah. Phil Spector's groups. You know, I can literally picture Darlene Love mm-hmm. or or Ronnie Spector or you know like a, that type of group of girl group from the '60s with that classic Phil Spector wall of sound kind of thing. That would have been a perfect song. But this still—it makes me smile. <laughs> I love this kind of fun breezy it's half motown but there's elements of the earlier 60s beach boys kind of it's just it's 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 fun and i i it's new to my list but i love it 
Yeah, I, and I yeah, I, I kind of felt like the same way when I heard this because I wasn't familiar with the song either until I saw it on your list. And I listened to it and I was like, "Damn, this is where where is this song been all the time?" And yeah, right. I, I think yeah, it's just like the the flirtations weren't big enough to make it to make an impression on my my other Motown listening. But this song definitely yeah, had, had this been a a Supreme song or Diana Ross or or the Pointer Sisters or something, yeah, easily would have been much bigger. But um, yeah, definitely deserves a shot. I I really dig the song. I'm glad you I'm glad you introduced me to this one. This is good. Cool. Cool, yeah, me too, me too, cool. What you got next? All right, moving on next, I've got the song World of Love by Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. If I had one wish for Christmas this year, there'd be no more sorrow, there'd be no pain or tears. If it was up to me, darling, I would build you a world of love. Oh, oh, listen now, we would gather round that that big Christmas tree, and we'd sing the songs. We wouldn't have no worries Except for the weather Watch the snow fall Go hang some mistletoe, y'all It's a world of love Alright, so uh, first thing to know as, as you've heard part of this song This one is not sung by the lead the leader of this band Sharon Jones um, It is a male singer I believe, from what I've been able to look up, it's a blues musician named Binky Griptite who's doing the singing. Um, oh, that is a good name. I know, right? I don't know that for a fact, though, because I don't have a physical copy of this Christmas album. I've, I've only listened to it digitally, so I don't yep. have, like, liner notes or, or any of that indicia. Um, I first heard this group, though, uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. They had a song called 100 Days, 100 Nights that plays on the Marvel Netflix show Luke Cage, <laughs> um, which I, I, I enjoy the show. It was not without its problems, but I loved the soundtrack to that show. Mm. Um, I loved the whole feel. And like, and they have a club inside the show with a lot of live performances uh, and bands like this <clears throat> that I really, really dig. Um, the whole thing about this group is it's an intentionally retro throwback style uh to the to the 60s sound that we've been talking about that that soul and r&b that motown um and that kind of like hearing that and hearing that song that made me listen to some of their other stuff and i really really dig it every once in a while i'll just you know i'll, I'll tell alexa to you know turn on you know play sharon jones of the dap kings and just have like a random playlist going on you neil i bet you have heard at least some of this because the horn section for this group performed on the song uptown funk by mark ronson and Bruno oh, yep yep absolutely so when i'm doing my research or my prep for this year i found out that they had an album called it's a holiday soul party and it's really really good i've listened to the album um it's fun it's a little bit unconventional because it's more modern sensibilities but it's got an older sound mm-hmm. um they've got another song called just another christmas that's great mm-hmm. uh, i almost put that one on my list it's more up tempo has a very smoky robinson kind of sound mm-hmm. <laughs> um there's one called ain't no chimneys in the projects that could be a james brown song absolutely i know um, that one i know that one too 
ultimately though i went with this one world of love uh this is my new favorite i've just i've been listening to this song a lot in the past month or so um it's just i can't say more than it's just it's my vibe right now it's mellow it's bluesy it's a call a plea really for peace on earth yes and it just uh it's it's hitting me where i i feel like we we're all living right now and i just i, I dig it um yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, you nailed your description of the sound kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm absolutely blown away by the fact that this song came out in 2015 and, and instead of 1975. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's it blows my mind. Um, I actually think I'm I'm probably a little bit more familiar with the soul post Motown soul of like the early 70s. Um, and I think that they're, you know, like a little bit more Marvin Gaye. Yeah, Marvin Gaye yeah. kind of hit his stride actually after Motown when he left Barry Gordy and Motown and cause like sexual healing and, and let's get it on came out after that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was early seventies stuff. And like and a I'm, super fly soundtrack. And everything yeah, yeah. 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 And I'm familiar with a lot of that music indirectly because most of those are the sampled tracks in like Dr. Dre's rap songs, (laughs) you know, like if you take anything off the chronic, he was, he was sampling, you know, all that stuff, nothing but a G thing, Dre day, uh, uh, whatever the, the, his third single was, um, those, those have that, that same kind of sound and this group nails it. They absolutely nail that sound. It was, it, it's, it's like a much, much cleaner, better recorded version of something out of the early seventies. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> it's just it's i mean it's it's funk it's soul it's it's all this stuff but they create it perfectly and faithfully and i i you know i wasn't i wasn't as i, I think i'd heard the name before um and once i saw that this was going to be on your list checked out the entire christmas album holiday soul party and man great discovery by you big props to this this is a really cool this is this is going to be in my rotation this album itself is going to be in my rotation come going forward cool glad to hear that yeah i I really dig it i've been i've been listening to it a lot so all right moving on though what is your next song all right well let's keep in the same sound let's keep in the same uh, era that we're doing i'm gonna go with all alone on christmas by darlene love Believe it or not, I actually first referenced this song a year ago, but not during our episode in the comments section. Um, after I was responding to somebody talking about other songs and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. And somehow I threw this out there, but I knew I needed to come back and mention this in the podcast and make more listeners aware of this. I love this song for so many reasons. First of all, it's got Darlene Love in that classic Phil Spector wall of sound that I talked about before, which yep. I wish I wish the flirtations would have done um, <laughs> that sound from the early 60s. Second of all, it was written by little Stevie Van Zandt from the, <laughs> from the E Street Band, <laughs> and it was recorded by the E Street Band 
<laughs> most of the members of the East Street Band and the Miami Horns from yeah. 10th Avenue Freeze Out and stuff. So it's it's the song has got a it's a cross between the the Phil Spector 60s sound and the East Street Band. So how can one not like this? Um, and, and Clarence Clemens brings his signature saxophone to the party, and it's it's just exactly what it feels like. It's it's it was first released, and then here's the third reason why I love this song. Um, it was first released on the Home Alone 2 soundtrack. Uh, I think it was actually written for that movie. I believe it was written just for that movie. A movie which I've never actually seen, by the way. I'm I'm preface that. (laughs) But but do you remember, and Ryan, this is going in the Wayback Machine right now. Do you remember Dad taking us to Chicago to audition to be extras in the movie? I do. God, I do now. (laughs) Yeah. There was, this was, oh God, this was before, obviously before I moved to LA. It was before my ill-fated role in Hoffa. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, re- I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I, I remember I had to, it had to be like around Christmas time, maybe my freshman year at NIU because I was into acting. I just got into acting then and whatnot. And I think they were auditioning. I, Oh God, I do remember it. Was, I do remember it was like, Somehow, somehow I talked dad into going and I'd never even auditioned before. It was like, I don't know what this stuff, I don't, I didn't know what a cattle call was or that Mm -hmm. type of thing, but we were all shocked when we got there. Dad took me and you downtown and we saw like 500 people lined up outside a theater in downtown Chicago. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if we stayed. (laughs) I I really don't remember. Do you, do you remember? I don't don't think we did. I think we just like, by the time we were like, it would have, it would have taken too long. And we're like, just to be like extras. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that was probably best case scenario. We might've ended up as in the background of a scene starring future reality. Don't say it. Don't say it. (laughs) Don't say it. I won't say his name because he ruins Christmas like he ruins he, everything else. So. Yes, he does. Oh, my God. I knew you were going to go there. I was afraid to bring this up. <laughs> I wouldn't have even thought of that, except when you mentioned the song, I looked at the video, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is from Home Alone 2. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, Home Alone. Oh. <laughs> so anyway but that's there's so for all those reasons it's got absolutely the sound i love it's it's got it's it's oh my god it's such a perfect great song e street band and phil specter and darling love and then it was in a movie that we almost went to, that we almost tried to do so that's that's just it just brings back brings back memories i did actually i did see the movie i did i, I do remember um i couldn't tell you what it was about other than being a sequel to the first one and probably having a similar plot. I don't, I don't really remember. Yeah. If I had to guess off the top of my head, I think the home alone franchise was almost like the taken franchise where at, <laughs> at, a, at a certain point you start to wonder about the parents, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, maybe you guys shouldn't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, this is suspicious. Yeah. yeah. Good song, by the way. Good, good, very good selection. I, I for the same reasons. Yeah, I, I love that. When I, when I looked up, I was like, "Oh, Darlene Love and the E Street Band." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like peanut butter and chocolate. Two great tastes that I love. Yeah. Yep. Enough said. Enough said. Yeah. You did. You had me there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> T- taking a short break away from our track lists. Um, the last because uh, you, you got me thinking about some of that time period. The last time <laughs> that I recorded with uh, Chris Franklin. Uh, we were talking about getting Batman-related Christmas presents um, on, on our other show because uh, I was thinking about Christmas 1989, obviously. Oh, yeah. So much merchandise related to the movie. Yeah. But for me, one of my favorite Christmas mornings in terms of, like, you know, getting the, the – just, I mean, the, the very – 
self-absorbed the act of opening presents of getting gifts the, the being the the receiver of, of <laughs> all the christmas things yeah so, um for me i think the best one was 1987 that christmas morning and i think the reason that one's always stuck out at me is because there i saw wrapped by the tree not under the tree because it wouldn't fit under the tree it had to be next to the tree was probably the <laughs> biggest box i had ever seen in my life up to that point and i i did look it up just to confirm that it, it did come out that year but i got the gi joe mobile command center um and this was like right around <laughs> the transition era where you weren't collecting the gi joes anymore um but they, it had become my hobby i inherited it from yeah. you there was like this transitional period where you still called one figure that was yours like each year like yeah, you're like yeah, yeah Be- beachhead he's he's yours i can have the rest that year <laughs> yeah. Yeah, falcon exactly. he's he's yours because he looked cool and, and yeah. but i get everybody else so yeah <laughs> yeah that makes sense yeah the thing about the mobile command center though was it looked like the jawa sand crawler it was this giant yes, it like brownish like gray thing like on that moved on four treads it had this really like geometric shaped like pilot's cabin and everything but you open it up it like split onto like these different things and it was basically a three story base and it had all of these things. You could park vehicles there. There was like a, an operation center with a computer base. There were medical beds. There was a prison. There was like an armory. There was just it, like everything. Like it, like it was like the base, but like the the actual like mechanics that went into this. Like you, there were like stairs and like like drop shoots and everything like that. It just like everything that you could have, and it was big and it was mobile, as the the thing would say. So I just I love that vehicle, and I had that for so long way longer than I than I needed to be collecting and playing with G.I. Joe's. I held on to that. And it was just like, oh, it was just so important to me. It's like one of my all-time favorite toys. And I just remember seeing the box and how big that was to a kid. Like six. Yeah. No, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I have a distinct memory. Uh, it, that was that was in the box unwrapped, like you had to open it through the wrap. Yeah. Yeah. I remember because, because, box, yeah. because I also remember there was a, there was a, there was maybe like every other year or something. I remember Santa actually would like unbox something for you and set it up and spend all night setting it up by the tree so that when you woke up, it was ready to play. <laughs> and, and I don't remember, like maybe it was just a handful of things, but it was usually like some sort of GI Joe action base kind of yeah. setup thing like yeah. that. I do remember that for a little bit. I'm surprised and thank God you never got like the the aircraft carrier thing. Oh, God, <laughs> I don't know if that would have fit in our living room. Oh God, no. <laughs> I think I think Colin, our cousin Colin, was the only person I know who had that because I think I only saw it in real life at once in his bedroom. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. You know, it, you know, it's funny. I'm not, it's it's neat. I, it, I that you have these like this great memory. Like the weirdest thing, and this is a strange sort of uh, like my favorite Christmas memories growing up are probably yours and the reason and and i don't mean it no i'm serious it's like it's like a weird thing like first of all we were dirt poor you know for most of my early years so mom and dad going to school and working part-time and trying to put themselves through college you know it's just so we had nothing so i don't i don't i just don't really remember getting anything you know i would get like maybe that was i would probably get like one toy a year and it would be like steve austin the buying the man or something <laughs> like that you know there was only a handful of things but nothing really memorable but you know, by the time that you were born and then when you came into your prime, like between the ages of, say, like seven and 14, that's when, you know, our parents finally, finally, you know, got to like financially 
stable. You know, they, they work themselves out of the hole that I dug them in. And, <laughs> and, and, but then, so we started to get cool shit by then, you know, and you got a lot of cool stuff and lots of, lots of things. And I remember you always had this cool ass philosophy that was, I think we talked about this before. So forgive me listeners, if I'm <laughs> repeating an old story, but you were always good at saying, well, if I get this, but Neil's got to get this, you know, you got to make sure you can't give me one thing and him not. And my mom didn't want to hurt your feelings. So if she bought something or if Santa brought it, you know, whatever, but there had to be one for each of us. And you knew damn well at the time that I had outgrown it. And so you were getting all this stuff, but it was a good play on your part. It was I had a system. Yeah, you did. Yes. Yes, you did. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny. You actually, just posting today i saw your your instagram post with the action figures on the trees and boy oh boy did that bring back memories that was that brought back a lot of memories that was i mean for for kids out there that could you know anybody that anybody listening right now that grew up with the same kind of interest that we did you know the 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 christmas tree was an unlimited never-ending action playset. <laughs> it was. It, re- it really was. It, it was, was the one infinite. thing that was better than the mobile command center, as you can play. Yes, yeah. yeah, realistically, realistically, it was. And unfortunately, because we played G.I. Joe's in it all the time, and most of them are camouflaged, <laughs> we lost one every year. <laughs> we, would, we would lose one figure every year. I'm pretty sure over the course of our childhood, I probably had three or four different beachheads. And every year, every year at Christmas, we lost one. <laughs> So, yeah, that's, you know, so the, anyway, those, I, your, your memories are great. They're probably mostly mine too, because I always thought that was that routine that we had. Um, and, and by the way, it was, it was so systematic year in and year out because mm-hmm. you'd get super excited and, and, you know, you were a pain in the ass to get to go to sleep. And then when you finally did go to sleep, that's when Santa would come and do all the work and stay up all night. And I know mom and dad went to bed early, so it had to be Santa by himself, staying up all night, putting everything out. And then about four o'clock every morning, you'd wake up and you had this thing. Remember our rules? We couldn't, we couldn't move anything around by the tree, but we could look through our stockings. That was <laughs> yeah. the rule. So every year you came, you went first, you went out by yourself to snoop to see if Santa came. And you'd be like, oh, my God, because that was also the one night a year mom would let us keep the tree lights on all night instead of turning them off when we went to bed. So if the Christmas lights on the tree were on, you knew Santa came. And (laughs) so you saw that you would see the presents and then you would. And I know for a fact you would reorganize them and you would count how many you got. I know you did. And then you just put them back. But then you'd come and get me and then you'd jump on my bed and be like, Neil, Neil, Santa came, Santa came. And so then we would go out and then we'd go out and we'd look at the presents and then we'd go by the stockings because we could go through the stockings. So we emptied out all of our stockings and we were like going through like, oh, cool, I got gum. Yeah, you know, and stuff like that. And and we'd look and see what mom and dad got and, it was, you know, whatever, and then put it all back. And then about six o'clock, we would somehow find a way to distract ourselves. I don't know how we did it. But for about two hours, we would last till maybe 6 a.m. And then then all of a sudden you were like, OK, I'm going to wake mom and dad up and, <laughs> and all the time. And every year, mom and dad would always say, don't you can't open them till seven, can't open them till seven. And every single year we opened them between 530 and six every single <laughs> year, because you you you'd say you wouldn't take no for an answer. It was you were that was you were that systematic. It was it was amazing. It was amazing to watch. Uh, I just. <laughs> I, I I remember all of that vividly, and I just I, I don't know if it was just a begging or crying or making an argument. It couldn't have been making a convincing convincing argument. It must have just been wearing them down. 
stuff. Oh, it had to be. It had to be. I mean, because we were for some reason, some way or another, it's like, okay, they could say no and then say, we're going to sleep in for another hour, but there's no way you would let them sleep. You know, it would be, (laughs) there would be so much freaking noise in the house that they were just like, Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, I remember so many years we were done opening presents at six in the six 30. And then we're like, all right, well now what do you want to (laughs) do? Well, the year after that, 1988, was when they gave us the Nintendo, which I think was their way of distracting us. And that was brilliant because then we adopted the new philosophy, which was you could get one present, the one present that we gave each other, because obviously Santa hadn't come yet. So it could be the one present that we gave each other on Christmas Eve. We were allowed to open it. And if it was a Nintendo game, that solved all the problems. <laughs> Everybody got, we would go into the into your bedroom or whatever, you know, right. the Nintendo room, and we would play a game for the next 24 hours and mom and dad could actually see. So that was brilliant. That was, yeah. that was, that was such a brilliant idea. It was an expensive thing back in 1988, but they, it, the investment paid off for them. Yeah. Oh God. Do you remember when Nintendo games were, I remember super Nintendo games once they got up to be like 60 or 70 bucks. It was yeah. like oh, just, yeah, yeah. it was ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to our list. Um, oh yeah. We're still doing that. Yeah, we're still talking about songs, um, and I'm going to do one that's a little bit familiar, uh, because for the, for the third year in a row, my list includes a version of Oh Holy Night. This one might be the last time, but I make no promises to that. Um, but this is certainly a version that I do love, and it's Oh Holy Night by Aaron Neville. Oh Holy Night the stars all brightly shining It is the night of the dear Savior's birth Long lay the world in sin and error Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope The weary soul rejoices For yonder breaks A new and glorious morn on your knees Oh, hear The angels' voices Oh, now Divine Oh, now When Christ was born my memory of this of hearing this for the first time was homer simpson in choir 
It was, it was, it was not The Simpsons. <laughs> um, not, not this song, but this particular version. My memory is the, the Aaron Neville's whatever Christmas album was playing in the kitchen at Terry's place. Our, our, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aunt yep. uh, Sharon's ex-husband, Terry. Yep. It was either in her place or his apartment in Chicago. Um, we went to see him, but it was like, this would have been in the earlier mid-2000s because I think I met Angie, but she was still in college or still away. And I think we weren't together that Christmas. She was still with, she was, you know, with her dad, her family. Um, so this was before we were married, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I just remember like hearing this song playing in the kitchen and I kind of, I am more having this kind of visual sense memory of seeing, seeing the family, you know, him and Sharon like arguing in the kitchen and our parents and like doing stuff at like the table, the dining room table and talking to everybody else and kind of just excusing myself and going down the, the stairs of the townhouse and just kind of wandering around the block in, in Chicago, like, uh, what, where was that neighborhood? It wasn't Blue Island. It was um no 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 that was no, north. That was Oak Park. Oh, but it was Oak Park. Yeah, I'm yep. thinking the wrong side. Um, wrong wrong decade by like three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but anyway, and I, and I think I called. Was I think this I called, the JT red outfit, red beret? No, year? no, this would have been a different okay. year. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I feel one. like he went to Terry's one time. He and, did, yeah. yeah. We, okay, this, there right. must have been more than one, yeah. Go on. Um, but I just remember walking around the block, kind of like on, on Christmas night. Maybe I, I called Angie and was just kind of we we're just talking, like catching up that night. Um, but something about it, I just remember like this this song put me in the mood of being alone on Christmas Eve and like sort of like being with the family, but not feeling part of the family because right. there's somebody that you love that isn't there. Yeah. Um, so again, ha, ha, kind of, you were in love. Ha, ha. Yeah, sucker. <laughs> but again, translate that into 2020. That's going to have a different, you know, a different feeling for a lot of people. So yes, yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's another. It's it's a bluesy, mellow, soulful Christmas track. Which again, this is where all of my <laughs> all of my songs are coming from. Um, but again, this is maybe like my second favorite version of Oh Holy Night. Um, and yeah, it's really. Like I've said every year, this is one of my favorite songs. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> eventually I'm going to run out of things to say about a song, so this will probably be the last time. <laughs> well, well, then uh, first of all, I'm glad you're sticking to your theme at least in keeping to well, at least one version of it for our first three episodes of <laughs> of, the, of this annual thing. Um, that being said, this is probably one of your more eclectic choices. Um, I know you've always kind of dug Aaron Neville. Like that doesn't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Unfortunately, and this is through no fault of his own, all I hear when he sings are the tons and tons of stand-up comedians who've ever mimicked him, <laughs> him you know, mimicked his voice in vibrato. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's all I picture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny. It's it's funny that I can't get past that, but it's it's no fault of his own. That's the way he. That's that's his signature style. Uh, but I just start laughing <laughs> when, when this song comes on. I start laughing. But but it's you know I don't really have a whole lot to say. It's still a beautiful version of it. Certainly uniquely his own. You know it's it's very Aaron Neville. Um, so props to that. I. I I hope this isn't the end of the era. I want you to do another one next year. I'll sign with it. Just 
Oh no! Nah. Nah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like almost half falsetto. Half, you know, it, I, boy, I, it's you just the, the, it's just vibrations. It's just like a thing just going up and down. It's, it's like you feel like it's he's tickling his like voice. Yeah, or or like that scene in in Smokey and the Bandit Two when they're trying to whip Burt Reynolds in shape, so they got him on that tummy belt thing. That's by, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I picture. I I wonder if Aaron Neville has one in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> all right what do you got next okay um speaking of eclectic versions how about that um i'm going with uh the classic silent night but not a classic version of it this one by taylor swift silent night holy night always come you know it's bright Of all the things I just mentioned about Eric Neville songs are, are the things that I actually really like about this one. Um, so, I, I don't know, call me a hypocrite or whatever, but there's a, there's no right or wrong answers when it comes to personal tastes, things like that. You know, I, I'm not as crazy about the Aaron Neville's being so unique to him, but this one is completely falls off the radar. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a completely different, you know, so... So like you, I chose this one over a ton of other versions of the song. And I have a, I have this song on just about every Christmas playlist uh, that I have, probably more than one version on each. Um, and I chose this one because it's, it's specifically because it's different and it's uniquely Taylor Swift. It's probably one of it's it's probably the weakest vocal performance of all the versions I could have chosen. You know, I mean, I'm putting this up against like Christina Aguilera or, you know, Celine Dion or Josh Groban or something mm-hmm. or Andrea Bocelli. So it's it's certainly not the most powerful vocal performance of all of them. But the reason the, the reason this version grabs me is because it's com- she completely rearranged the song. Yeah. She rearranged the melody and the chord structure of the song and turned it into like this sort of pop country riff. That's not even the the chord structure of the song uh, of the classic version. And that's tough to do with such an iconic Christmas song that everybody knows and I'm I have no doubt that there's probably a great many listeners that are going to think it's blasphemy to do this. You know, they're going <laughs> to they're going to say like, "No, no, you can't do that. You can't take this, you know, this biblical hymn that everybody knows and then make it your own." But that's why I like it. 
Now, bear in mind, folks, listeners, that I'm not saying this is my favorite version of the song. Uh, it's it's, but because it's different, because it's fairly obscure, I think right. you know. Considering Taylor Swift is as big as she is, I don't think a lot of people know about her version of this or her Christmas stuff. So I found it worth mentioning, and possibly, like we say at the beginning of everything, you know, possibly exposing some of our listeners to something new and yep. something different. And we've talked, you know, long story short, we've we've rambled on and on and on before about cover songs and things like that. Well, this takes the cake in terms of what we want, what we want out of a cover song. She made it mm-hmm. her own. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with the with trying to do something uh trying to do something unique and and even as as not audacious but ballsy mm-hmm. kind of, of of rearranging the melody for such a a yeah, like a universally known song. Like that was my problem, but like the first like I, it did take me a few listens to actually get to get into this song. The first <laughs> time I heard it it was just like it was a physiological thing. I'm like, "Oh, she's doing it wrong." <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, she missed it. No, wait, wait, what? How? Like, why is she singing it this way? And it, like, I had to kind of get. I was like, okay, I'm seeing what she's trying to do here. And then the more I, you know, I gave it a couple of listens. I was like, okay, she's just trying something different. I, I, I respect that and I like it. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a cool enough version for the attempt to try something different, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, I, I had almost the same reaction you did. I read the first time I ever saw this version or saw her or heard it. Um, I think she was, I, God, I don't, she had to be about 16 years old. I mean, this is going way back into her when she was a kid. Right. But I was at like a Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting ceremony on, on primetime TV, like NBC or something. And she comes out and plays it acoustically. And I remember kind of like you, when she started, I kept being like, Oh my God, Oh my God, she's doing it wrong. Like I was like, I was, I was, <laughs> like I was like, embarrassing. Yeah. yeah, I was embarrassed for this poor 16 year old girl. It's like somebody screwing up the national anthem, you know, kind of, I was like, Oh my God. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, that melody works. It's really <laughs> weird, but that melody works. And of course, at that time I was like, Hey, I can play this on the acoustic guitar. <laughs> you know? I'm like, Oh no, I love it. So, but yeah, yeah. For, you know, for all the reasons I think we we're both in total agreement, this may not be everybody's favorite. This may not be everybody's, it's not my favorite, but it's a really, really cool. And like you said, ballsy attempt to make something interesting. All right. Um, before we continue our list of our own songs, um, just like last year, we got a lot of listener recommendations, a lot of listener suggested songs. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, but we did get a, a really cool, very, again, talking about eclectic and diverse sampling. Um, I picked out one that I just want to showcase really quickly. Um, this was submitted by Diablo Frank. Uh, and this song is I Don't Intend to Spend Christmas Without You by Claudine Langer. You went away, you told me you weren't coming back. You told me that now it's cold and Christmas is coming too. And I don't intend to spend Christmas without you. This, this is a song that sounds very retro. It sounds very old fashioned, like we were saying. Um, like, but it's, it's, 
she's just she because of the the accent she, there's a, a certain kind of cadence and a certain kind of playfulness to the song um that i really really like um even just the phrasing of it yeah and instead yeah. of you know like uh, please come home for christmas or i i don't want to spend christmas i don't intend to spend christmas without you. <laughs> something yeah. very just uh, uh i don't know french <laughs> yeah yeah it, 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 it kind of is it's yeah. it's very french yeah, I just, I, I dig this one. So, Frank, I think this was a good selection, and I wanted to shout this one out. Okay, I'm going to go with uh, a song referred to us by Gord Tolton, and this is, uh, this was an interesting one I hadn't heard before, and it's by the Dino Martinis, called Naughty and Nice. Baby, it's Christmas time, won't you please come by So this, I actually, first of all, what sold me on this was the album cover because yes. it's, a, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hot chick in a Santa outfit and it's, it's, it's awesome. So I'm like, okay, okay. You got my attention. I'll give it that. And, uh, I did some, I did some listening and I listened to their, their whole album actually. And it's, it's different. It's interesting. They're kind of, a a swing uh, big band kind of sound, I guess. And I even looked this up and apparently they're Calgary's best wedding band. <laughs> <laughs> they were voted Calgary's best wedding band, which I think is cool. Now I love the clever name, the Dino Martinis. I think yeah. that's so cool as a play on Dean Martin, who was nicknamed Dino. I think right. that's really clever, but this, the reason I chose the song specifically. And, and again, Real quick, let me just say, like, I love the listener shout outs kind of thing where people suggest stuff to us because I'm I'm every year we we take your your suggestions seriously. We listen to everything that everybody says. And that's why it's important that, you know, I love the feedback because I would have never discovered this on my own. So I love this stuff. The reason I chose this song specifically, I dig it because it's it's kind of like a slow bluesy kind of song like please come home for Christmas. Yeah, by, you yeah. know, it, it feels like that, but you know, the Bon Jovi version we did, which everybody else said they liked the Eagles more and blah, blah, blah. But, but it feels like that type of song and it kind of sounds like that. But the difference is this is a little slower and sexier. You know, yeah. I, when, yeah. when we reviewed the first one, when we talked about please come home for Christmas, especially with the video, we talked about how sexy that video was. And this song is even sexier. It's, it's, it's hot. It's kind of hot. So, <laughs> so big shout out to Gore Tolton and, and naughty and nice by the Dino Martinez. Yeah, I really like this one after I listened to it too. It's very, it's got a very playful, very fun, uh, vocals and lyrics and everything like that. Um, uh, yeah, more, de- definitely more overtly <laughs> playful yeah. and, and yeah, sassy. Absolutely. Um, like, un- come on, un- you know, unwrap me under the tree. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, I, I like the singer's voice. Uh, God, I can't think of who she reminds me of, like a, a female artist like Susan Tedeschi or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I dig it. This was a good selection. So, <laughs> yeah. Congrats to all of the the Calgary couples who get married to, the, to this. Camp. Absolutely, man. I want. I want. I wonder what the waiting list is to get Calgary's best wedding band to play for you. Yeah. <laughs> do you have to get married in Calgary? Is that the thing? Do you need a destination wedding? No. Do you have, actually? Do you have to get married? <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you just throw a party with Calgary's best wedding band? <laughs> they do bat mitzvahs. <laughs> <laughs> Quinceañeras. <laughs> 
All right. All right. Getting back to our lists now. Um, and actually, this one, uh, as, a, as a segue, this one was also partially inspired by one of the listener suggestions. Uh, I think Clinton Robinson mentioned um, the, uh, what was it, the, the Will Vinton's Claymation Christmas special. And that, that featured the California Raisins doing a version of the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Well, I'll kind of explain. I didn't pick that one, but I went with the, what, what that version was inspired by. So this is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by The Temptations. said this was inspired by one of the listener comments um i had completely forgotten about that claymation christmas celebration but i loved <laughs> it as a kid we had it taped yeah, taped off yeah we did it on, it was on one of our christmas tapes um i watched it so much I, it, like i had god got a, such a kick out of that um and one, one of our uh, one of my neighbors chrissy actually read that comment and actually bought the dvd of that thing so she got it so i'm gonna actually borrow that from her because i want to watch this again <laughs> um, anyway, um, the show, it features the California Raisins, which was a thing in the late 80s, this popular claymation fictional singing group. Um, and they do a very cool Motown version of Rudolph. I always loved that version because I hadn't heard at the time any version like that. Well, it turns out they weren't the first group to do it that way because 20 years earlier, the Temptations did this version in 1968. <laughs> However, the year after the Claymation Christmas special aired, the California Raisins released their own Christmas album, uh, and it featured this song, but it's not the same version from the special. If you listen to their Christmas album version, it's it's a different take, and I don't think it's as good. <laughs> so I'm wondering <laughs> if they had to change it because the rights to the other version were owned by the studio that recorded the claymation special or if there was something about the temptations version that they couldn't record or they just tried to do something different i i don't know um but anyway i don't know but let me jump in really quick and just say for any of our listeners that watch the movie straight out of compton the <laughs> the story of nwa don't forget the fact that the record label that signed nwa their only artists that they had on the roster were the california raisins <laughs> Paul Giamatti's claim to fame. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, so this is the the version by the Temptations. Uh, It sounds almost the same as the the Raisins version. There's a few differences that I can pick out, but it's just great. I love it. And it takes, it takes like 
a Christmas carolly song. Like this is the song that, you know, kids sing in the Christmas pageants. I remember like in third and fourth grade having to sing this song for parents. <laughs> and it was like, okay, yeah, it's fun because it, but like watching the, the raisins or the temptations do it this way, it's like, oh, you're making it smooth and cool. And you're giving Santa Claus this deep booming voice. Just come on, come on, come yeah. on. Dad, my sleigh. <laughs> I just love this one. Um, well, okay. You, I mean, once you referenced the temptations, you had me, you know, and I said, <laughs> like, bring back the Motown sound. Hey, maybe we should, you know, honestly, I think, I think Motown might be my next year's theme. Like I might just do that and stick there. Um, this is, this is, again, it's, it's kind of addition. It's, it's a little bit different of a non-traditional version of the classic Christmas song. You know, like you said, it's every kid knows it, but it, they kind of made it their own. But I love this one. Uh, we've already discussed how infatuated, you know, I've said it over and over again with that early kind of 60s Motown soul sound, especially when it comes to Christmas music. That's that's my pop- most popular playlist that I that I play throughout six months of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but here's the cool thing about this. Um I love this because it showcases all of the voices in the temptations better than a lot of their songs do. You know, it's oh, yeah. like, like, like if you listen to this song, they, I mean, obviously they can harmonize. Everybody knows that they were one of the first like uh, boy band kind of groups type thing from the sixties, but this song provides us with breakdowns. Everybody gets their own vocal showcase in the song. Like it's really from the classic archetypes of a boy band. You got the tenor, the counter, you know, the lead tenor, the counter tenor, the baritone and the deep bass for our much younger listeners, uh, you know, think like boys to men. This would have been like boys to men before there was a boys to men kind of thing. But, you know, I, I like a lot of the temptation stuff, but this really showcases all of them really well. And they get a chance to shine in this song. So not only is it a cool and interesting version of Rudolph, but it really puts the temptations talents like in the spotlight. So I think this is a great choice. Yeah. All right. What else you got? All right, let's have some fun. Let's break out of the Motown sound and let's go big band and let's go classic claymation Rankin and Bass. Let's do Mr. Heatmiser, but this one by Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. I'll miss the white Christmas. I'll miss the cool. I'm too much. Oh, I'm too much, baby. He's Mr. White Christmas. He's Mr. Snow. He's Mr. Icicle. He's Mr. Tenderloin. Friends call me Snow Miser. Whatever I touch turns the snow in my clutch. I'm too much. Okay, originally from the 1974 Rankin and Bass classic, um, A Year Without a Santa Claus, where Mrs. Claus, for people that aren't familiar with it, where Mrs. Claus has to go to both the North and South Poles and get the Miser Brothers to stop feuding and compromise, otherwise Santa won't come out on Christmas Eve. And eventually the boy's mom, who's Mother Nature, gets involved <laughs> and straightens everything out. Now, a little backstory about this song, though. This I'm going to tell you why I chose this. This 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 special wasn't really big on my Christmas radar growing up. It wasn't as notable or as popular as like 
Rudolph or Frosty or even um, um, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Remember that mm-hmm. one with the mice and stuff? Yep. Um, this one wasn't – I don't remember it being played as often, and it just wasn't on my radar. But leave it to a good old buddy of mine, Swed, right? <laughs> this is – Swed got me into this because uh, – that's Swedberg to people that don't know him, but he's Swed to us. Um, because he sang this song over and over again year after year during, like, Christmas break. I just remember that's – and he even walk, – he, he would walk around and, like, kickstep and do jazz hands and, like, like the little <laughs> like the little minions of the Heat Miser and the Snow Miser do. Like, he just did this thing. And I remember the first time I saw him do it, I didn't know it was from – I thought it was something he made up. I was, I was like, man, you're weird. And then, and then so at some point he told me, he's like, you know, you got to watch the show. And then I saw it. And then the heat miser and the snow miser with their big hair and these like fat little bodies and, and, and all this stuff. It was just awesome. So I got into the song. I got into the, the special later in my, I guess in my teens and twenties then, but it was the 2004 release of big bad voodoo daddy's Christmas album that really closed the deal for this. Uh, people may have heard of them from the late nineties and the early two thousands after like swingers came out, you know, there was a resurgence of that 1930s and forties, big band kind of swing sound. And I, I've, I've got a whole playlist dedicated to big band and swing Christmas too, with a lot of Brian Setzer orchestra and stuff like that. But I'm getting <laughs> off. The sub- I'm getting off the subject. Um, these guys though, big bad voodoo daddy just killed this song with their version of it. And for all the reasons we said before, like I love people that take chances and do something original and make it their own and everything. This is going to sound crazy, but I love this song because they didn't do any of that. This is exactly like the original song from the TV show. It sounds identical to it. And that's why I love this one. Go figure. <laughs> it's one of the most fun Christmas songs like, yeah. that, I, that I can think of. Um, you're right. Like there, there's this old school quality that it hits you like the nostalgia of like the Rankin and Bass Christmas specials. It feels mm-hmm. very uh, kind of throwback, but the recording quality and the sound <laughs> gives it like this sort of modern relevancy. Yeah. Um, but still being, you know, an old one. It's just, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it, it's not campy or, or kind of jokey or schmaltzy, but it kind of plays to that same funny, like kid, sensation i don't know sure yeah no it's a, i kind of get the same feeling when i listen to the song it's like you know you hear christmas music in the malls all the time well mm-hmm. not this year but like in years past you know when you're shopping and stuff but i remember you know and it's always kind of standard generic stuff and then i remember like if you ever as a kid when the grinch song came on and you were out shopping you were like oh oh my god they're playing the grinch because it brought you back to the cartoon this kind of this song kind of has that feeling to it yeah yeah, no, I agree. Um, we we've talked about Christmas specials a couple times associated with some of these songs. Yeah. Um, and and I did kind of want to shout out because we we sort of challenged ourselves thinking about some of our favorite Christmas specials, uh, some that we would mention back when a few months ago when we did our very daily Halloween volume two. I talked about Garfield's Halloween special yes. <laughs> uh, and, and keeping with that, I wanted to come back and talk about <laughs> Garfield Christmas special. Of course you would. Um, which, which as I described to you, I was like, it's a lot like the Halloween special <laughs> that, you know, it's just kind of going along. It's Garfield. He's singing, he's doing his kind of things. And then it takes this hard right turn <laughs> thematically. Now, how would you do that with a Christmas special? But 
again, this was one that I, I liked a lot as a kid because it was on my Christmas tape, and I couldn't figure out like why. I was never a big Garfield fan. I didn't read Garfield comic strips. I didn't like watch those <laughs> shows. But I really love these two specials, and this one in particular, I think, is partly because. This one is very similar in ways to the story of A Christmas Carol in terms of there's a parable nature to this where Garfield is a selfish creature. He's just thinking about what he can get for Christmas. He's thinking about presents. It opens up with him having a dream about getting the gift that keeps on giving all these presents. He doesn't want to go to John's family's house for Christmas. He's like, why can't they come to our house? Why do I have to uproot my life for these people? All he thinks about is uh, Christmas dinner. <laughs> like he's he's not really in the spirit of Christmas. And throughout the course of it, he gets there. You know, by the by the end of it, he even has this you know little speech by the by the end of the show where he's like, "It's not the giving, it's not the getting, it's the loving." And I was like, "Oh, that's schmaltzy," but I, I, I dig it. I love it. <laughs> um, but there's a moment, like this quick little scene in the middle of this kid's cartoon about a talking cat and his dog, his idiot dog. That the the family, John's family, because they go and see his mom and his dad and his younger brother, Doc Boy, um, and, and their grandma is there too. And the family is gathered around the piano singing Christmas songs. And Garfield notices that the grandmother is over by the window in her rocking chair. And it's like the room is dark, like the lights are out. And Garfield jumps up on her lap and she starts stroking him. And she starts talking about her husband, who is dead at this point. And all of like the, the past Christmases, she's reflecting on... You know, when they were kid, you know, when they were young, a young couple, they didn't have much money, but he always worked hard enough to put food on the table and to give a little bit of Christmas joy to the kids and the family. And you're watching this, and like as an adult, I start to bawl. I'm like, oh my god, how are they doing this in this kids' cartoon? But like, <laughs> even as a little kid, I just remember there was something darker and and sadder in this moment, but still really beautiful and really heartwarming. And I think, I I think maybe this like imprinted on me at such a young age that I've always had this association with Christmas of this little aspect of the Christmas yeah. time and the spirit that for some people Christmas sucks, for some people Christmas is a really lonely and heartbreaking time, and I think we're gonna feel that a lot this year for a lot of people in this country. Um, Man, so the fact that she was going into this, I was like. Maybe maybe the reason I always gravitate to those Christmas ballads is because of this show and, and what this imprinted on me. That it's was like, your inception point. Yeah, this two little minute two minute monologue by Grandma as she's stroking her cat, thinking about her dead husband. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> so, but I don't know. So yeah, for for that reason, this has always been one of my favorite Christmas specials, and it's it's one that I still come back to every year. Grandpa was a proud man, a strong man. He was a good provider. We never had much money, but we always had plenty of food on the table. And he always made something special for me and each of the children at Christmas. Men like him didn't feel like they could show much affection outwardly to the children, but on Christmas, it was okay. He always pretended not to be excited on Christmas morning. But his eyes gave him away. I think... I think it was his favorite day of the year. Sometimes I wake up in the night and I can still feel his strong arms around me. 
This is the night I miss him the most. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, first of all, that's funny. It's funny that you keep going with Garfield, <laughs> you know, this year. That's, I don't think you did any other holiday specials, so I think we're done. <laughs> right, okay, okay, good. Um, but, no, for a, you you touched on a lot of the same things for a very interesting way that I identify with. with the, if I was going to reference one of my favorite childhood all-time Christmas specials, I would probably say the Charlie Brown Christmas. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's it's got a lot of the same thing. You know, it's the whole overarching concept of that or, or the story, the plot of that is Charlie Brown's losing touch with the spirit of Christmas, the feeling of Christmas. You know, it's 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 become commercialized. And of course, he in his Charlie Brown way, you know, over analyzes everything and tries to intellectualize all this stuff and talking about the commercialization and the monetization of all these things. And he's, he's lost touch with it. So they get him to direct the Christmas show and, and the Christmas play. And then he gets the Christmas tree that everybody, you know, the, they identify with this Charlie Brown Christmas tree, which is just this poor, pathetic, wretched, horrible, like, you know, Charlie Brown can't do anything right. He can't even pick out a tree, right. Kind of thing. But the show kind of culminates in, Linus having a monologue at the very, very end. He actually, and this is like cutting at stuff. I don't, I don't know how this got past censors and standards and practices because he does a, he's a, a biblical verse. He reads an actual biblical verse. Um, and, but, but essentially what it's, what it does. And even as a little kid, and I remember as a little kid, not getting it, you know, it wasn't like, I didn't quite get what he was talking about when he's referencing, you know, the shepherds and, you know, coming to, Jesus and whatever it was. But the thing that I got, I got a feeling from it. And that was like, there was something I identified with as a feeling because you got to remember in that particular place in the show, like all the music stops, the lights go down and it's just a spotlight on Linus. And he goes on for about three minutes. I want to say it's like two or three minutes long. And as a kid, I remember not understanding anything about what he's talking about, but getting the fact that, Oh, okay. I kind of feel like I know what Christmas is now. And then everybody loves him and they read everybody then finally comes around to Charlie Brown and they give him the tree that he wanted that, you know, it's just, it's got this nice thing. And I kind of took away from that. Okay. It's like this Christmas is supposed to be about this, like feeling it's supposed to be about their, you know, this doing something for others in the giving aspect and not, not about the presence under the tree kind of stuff. And that's just, I don't, that's, that's why that show will always resonate with me. Um, I love the animation. I love the soundtrack. I love all that stuff, but it's still kind of, it's one of those things. It's kind of somber. It's kind of borderline depressing a little bit, if you will, but kind of, kind of like you, that might've been my inception point for liking all these lonely bluesy Christmas ballads kind of thing. But it just, it just kind of, it, it put me in the spot where like at the end of the Grinch, where he's like, perhaps just perhaps Christmas means something a whole lot more. That's, that's kind of what I take from it. Linus is right. I won't let all this commercialism ruin my Christmas. I'll take this little tree home and decorate it. And I'll show him it really will work in our play. All right, let us close out with our last two songs of the episode. And I will ask you, what are you doing New Year's Eve? My Lettuce. Maybe it's much too early in the game. But I thought I'd ask you just the same What are you doing New Year's? 
will hold you good and tight When it's exactly twelve o'clock that night Welcoming in the This song was originally written in 1947 and was actually never meant to be a holiday track. The writer actually <laughs> didn't want this to be associated. It's like it's like the, the the person is supposed to be like calling his shot. Like he's so bold that he's asking, "What are you doing New Year's Eve?" Like some far in the future date. Um, but it's kind of gotten lumped in with a lot of like Christmas Christmas music now. Um, and Let Us See recorded hers for a 2008 album, "It's Christmas." I had heard of her, but I hadn't heard of this album or the song until this year. The vibe I get from this one is the end of a holiday episode of a popular TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this, yeah. this really sounds like I'm almost surprised if I hadn't heard this one at, like during an ending montage of a David E. Kelly show, like Ally McBeal or Boston yeah. Nickel or something like that. Yeah. Um, it has that kind of bluesy, jazzy, very sweet um, overly sweetness, um, but it's very pleasing and very easygoing. And it kind of just, it makes me think of walking down a city street in a light snow, arm in arm, the camera is pulling away from us, uh, kind of a sense of the ending of a year or the ending of a chapter. Um, and just that felt very welcoming as a, as a sort of farewell uh, for this one. And it's just, again, more of just kind of being in, in the headspace of liking the sound, liking her voice, um, and just kind of just it's it's very cool, very refreshing, uh, and and yeah, sonically that's that's really that's all it is. Yeah, uh, well, th- I think it's very interesting. It's almost apropos that you would choose this, considering so many talk, so many things you've referenced earlier. After every song is about where we're at in 2020, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to speed through Christmas and everybody, you know. It's very interesting that I think a lot of people right now are wondering, can't wait for New Year's Eve. <laughs> you know, I think, yeah. I think they're like, they need the, cl- they need the calendar to turn. Yeah. So that makes perfect sense. Um, I got to tell you, I think this is my favorite pick of yours this year. Mm. I, I love this song on my slow jazz Christmas playlist. I've got versions of the, I've, I've, I mean, I've, I'm familiar with the song. I've got versions by Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin and more, but this one was new to me. And it's instantly, instantly one of my favorites. It's the, she has such a beautiful tone in her voice and the jazz band behind her is so in the pocket musically. Um, it's, it's, it's like, they're like all like, I mean, sharing the same brain wavelength kind of thing. They're just, they're just there together. Like a good jazz band really can be, um, it's weird because this version of the song sounds so classic and timeless, yet it's it's modern at the same time. It still has a modern hint of it. But I'm definitely I've definitely caught myself kind of in the last few years um, drifting away from the bombastic female singers of the 90s and the 2000s, you know, for a long, you know, all the big overpowering female vocalists that feel, you know, like the Christina Aguilera's or the. Right. Celine Dion's or the you know all these people that every every song sounds like they're auditioning for American Idol. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, there's something about this; it's beautiful and it falls perfectly into the category I love with with uh, 
like candles and a glass of wine and Christmas tree lights at night and slow dancing with your significant other in front of the tree kind of thing. But it's, there's something I, 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 you know, actually it's funny. I'm just thinking about this now. You know, I mentioned American Idol. One of the notes I remember Simon Cowell used to always say in the first couple of years of the show, and then I stopped watching it, but, but he always used to say to certain singers, just sing the song. And it, you know, I, as a musician, as a, you know, I get that. I get that line. It's like these people are trying to showcase. So they go on these ridiculous runs, like, uh, 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 you know, to end a song. And, and it takes something away from it. It's like, okay, you can do that. That's fine. But just sing the song. Right. This, this version encapsulates that. It's like she, like, she just sings the song. And it's beautiful. And it's amazing. And this is my favorite pick here. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Close us out. What do we got for the last song? All right. I hope everybody's sitting down for this one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This has been a long time coming and it's worthy of discussion for a number of reasons. Um, So let's get into it. I'm choosing baby. It's cold outside. And I could have chosen a thousand versions of the song, but as a point of reference, why not? I'm going with Michael Buble and Adina Menzel. Okay. So here we go. (laughs) Okay. This has long been one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs ever since I, I, God, ever since I invented karaoke machines, I (laughs) I, I, honestly, I've probably got like five or six different versions of the song before on various playlists. And my personal favorite version is probably Dean Martin's like the original, the first one I heard, or there's actually a really good, like I like Bing Crosby and Doris day, even though the recording quality is very, very poor and old it sounds like an like an analog am radio kind of thing it's just it sounds poor but it's it's beautiful i don't know they're all pretty similar and i've got a bunch of others that ryan you and i have kind of gone back and forth with that all sound similar Mm -hmm. but i love this one because i love these two singers they're both fantastic so why not this is perfect now i knew i was going to choose this song at some point for our annual podcast and i was thinking about this as early as our first one uh i just had to wait for the right time And as you know, and as our listeners know, or I hope they know, this song has actually garnered quite a bit of unfortunate negative attention over the last few years, especially with the growing and evolving Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement and stuff. So I needed to take some time to collect my thoughts, I guess, and make sure that I could be objective and unbiased with my justification of listing the song and not react emotionally as I've been known to do. (laughs) So let's let me explain for the people that aren't familiar with what I'm talking about. Let me give you a really quick synopsis, really quick backstory. Uh, A couple of years ago, Affinity Magazine ran an article that was titled titled Baby It's Cold Outside is actually a song about rape. That was the name of the article Um, and singling out a number of lyrical passages in the song. Most most ominously being the line where she says, say, what's in this drink? That seems to be the one that everybody kind of focuses on and thinks that, oh, it's a date rape drug. She's been roofied, yeah. Yeah, she's been roofied. And that led to an endless parade of major radio stations banning the song from their holiday playlists. And let me be crystal clear about this, first of all, for all everybody listening right now. I'm one of the biggest supporters and proponents of the Me Too movement you'll ever see. I'm absolutely in favor of that. And, and I support every woman's right to be heard and right to empowerment and all that stuff. But Despite what the QAnon Karens would have you think, (laughs) Baby It's Cold Outside is not a song about rape. It's not. I'm sorry. Baby It's Cold Outside was a duet written by Frank Loser and his wife, Lynn. Keep in mind, this is his wife. In 1944, and it was just to be performed at Christmas gatherings back then. They debuted the song at a housewarming party for their new home. 
and it became an instant hit. It was written in an era when seduction was not synonymous with sexual assault. You didn't need to sign a consent form to hold a girl's hand, and men weren't all assumed to be vicious predators. In fact, the only vi- the only vicious person in the song that gets referenced is the woman's aunt. <laughs> but we'll we'll get to that. I'll come back to that later. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a quick moment to run through the lyrics in the song. We, I want to play them for you, and I want to describe, and I want to like break them down and yep. make sure that everybody's aware that this song, again, in 1944, written by a husband and wife as a playful back and forth cat call kind of thing. It's not a date rape song and radio stations can re-add this to their playlist they're all wrong so let's 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 go into the beginning let's let's go this is why exactly why they're wrong i really can't stay baby it's cold outside i gotta go away baby it's cold outside so at this point he's simply a man who knows the lady is the lady in his life is preparing to leave and he's doing his damnedest to try and get her to stay for just like five or 10 minutes more. That's he even says that they both know that in 1944, remember it's not appropriate for an unmarried lady to stay the night at a man's house or stay late. So they're just delaying the inevitable and dragging out their dragging their feet as long as they possibly can. I've even, I mean, depending on the way it's sung, some interpretations, I kind of get the impression that she just came over. Like, I really can't stay is the first thing she says when she walks in the door. Very well could have been. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just great. Like my mother will start to Beautiful, worry. what's your My father hurry? will be pacing the floor. Listen to that fireplace. Now, the woman in the song is playing coy. She doesn't actually want to leave. The way the song is written with by, with a call and response kind of interchanging vocals that they play off each other, it's meant to express the fact that two people who actually do want the same thing. Put some records on while I pour. She asks him for another drink. He didn't offer it to her, and he certainly didn't force it on her or trick her into having another one. She asked for it. Her family's expecting her home, and she knows that. She's just pushing off how long she can stay before they get upset. And anybody that's a teenager that's ever known that you have a curfew and you try to push the limits as far as you can, like, we've all been there. The neighbors might think, baby, it's bad out there. Say what's in this drink. No cabs to be had out there. All right, now this is the line that seems to get everyone up in a tizzy. Ever since the article that I talked about, people have wrongly translated what's in this drink to a reference to date rape drugs when in 1944 there wouldn't have been such a thing she doesn't tell her beau what kind of drink to make her just that she'll have another and there are a number of reasonable thoughts she could have had in her head in 1944 she could have been asking simply hey it's a strong drink or hey it's not strong enough or hey it's something unfamiliar or she likes it and wants to know its name or she's embarrassed at how tipsy she is and she's starting to blame the drink, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's, a, there's dozens of realistic explanations for why she asked, hey, what's in this drink? Maybe she just liked it, period. <laughs> but, but assuming that there's some hidden dark meaning to that line is looking for something that frankly isn't there. It's also – it's an expression that has been used before. It predates like – any kind of like accusations like saying what's in this drink is like a a common synonym for something that is like strong and yes like when, yes. When people are kind of like getting maybe getting a little bit too drunk or too buzzed too quickly but it's yeah okay <laughs> i wish i knew how eyes are like starlight to break this spell i'll take your hat 
Your hair looks swell. Mind if I'm moving closer? What's the sense of hurting my pride? Baby, don't hold out. Baby, it's cold outside. So this set of lyrics is important as well. The spell that she's talking about is attraction. It's not about a drug-induced haze. Um, she knows she's supposed to be prim and proper, and she knows she's supposed to say, no, 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 sir. She even says, I ought to say that. And she also knows what she's going to do. She's like basically saying, well, hey, hey, at least I'm going to say I tried. Neither of them want to go want want to go anywhere, and she's convincing herself that it'll be easier to ask for forgiveness later if she stays longer. <laughs> I simply must go. Baby, it's cold outside. The answer is no. But baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> The welcome has been How lucky that you so dropped nice in. and warm. Look out the window <laughs> at that My star. My sister will be suspicious. Gosh, your lips look delicious. My brother will be there at the door. Waves upon a tropical shore. My maiden aunt's mind is Gosh, vicious. Gosh, your lips are delicious. Or maybe just a cigarette more. Never such a blizzard before. Okay, the arguments here she gives for why she needs to go, her sister, her brother, her vicious maiden aunt, are not meant for him. They're meant for her. She's trying to convince herself of all the logical reasons she should go, and he's teasing her. He's reminding her of all the illogical reasons to stay, which is why she follows up with, well, the cigarette, maybe being another excuse to linger. That's her choice. I gotta get home. Baby, you freeze out there. Say, lend me your comb. It's up to your knees out there. You've really been grand. I feel when I touch your But hand. But don't you see? How can you do this thing to me? There's bound to be a talk tomorrow. Think of my life long story. At least there'll be plenty in play. If you got pneumonia, you die. Now he's being ridiculous and fun in a playful way, in a playful way. He's being naughty. He's being like the naughty little devil on her shoulder, oozing drama in a lighthearted attempt to keep her there. However, it's the finale that's critical to understanding how wrong people have been about this song. It's, it's the first time in the song, and we'll get to this in a second. It's the first time in the song that both the man and the woman sing the chorus, Baby, It's Cold Outside, together. If you needed any proof that this song is a romantic duet between two lovers, here it is. It's the first time she gives in and she sings with them that she doesn't want to go home, and they sing it together. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold. Baby, it's cold If you needed a reminder why this song is not even remotely evil, read that last line one more time. She says she can't stay, and he answers with, get over that old out. Hey, maybe that implies that the situation has even happened before, and he's calling her out on it, like this is her old excuse, you know, this is her old out kind of thing. Um, reinforcing the, the implication is the fact that the end of the song is them singing the chorus together. So, Baby It's Cold Outside has an ambiguous ending. It's not clear if she stays or if she not. And it, honestly, it doesn't matter. She was always free to walk out the door at any given point in the song, and we're left to our own imaginations to whether or not she chose to break the rules or not. Songs can't, by, can't be dissected by simply reading lyrics and reassigning meaning alone. Emotion, tone, intonation are a few of critically important aspects that a song, uh, of a song that reveal the story the words are trying to tell. But you can't escape the fact that it was written by a man for him and his wife to sing together. The basic foundation of this famous song is love. Romance and its cues are nuanced and, in, and sometimes difficult to understand, but cherry-picking single lines from a 70-year-old song and twisting them into something dark 
is disingenuous, manipulative, and irresponsible. So to all those radio stations now in 2020 that are still banning one of the most beloved and popular holiday classics of all time, please stop fostering a culture that thinks all males are waiting in the shadows to pounce on every unsuspecting woman they see. And please stop painting every woman as a damsel in distress, incapable of making her own decisions and knowing what she's doing. Women should be allowed to flirt too. And men, once upon a time, were allowed to court and charm the object of their affection. Even Jimmy Stewart did it in Donna Reed and It's a Wonderful Life when she lost her towel and had to hide behind a bush in embarrassment. Should we ban that movie now too at Christmas time because George Bailey didn't immediately give it back to her, but instead he playfully considered all his options per- pertaining to, hey, having a naked girl, a beautiful naked girl in a bush behind him in need of his towel. Long story short, get over it. Stop attacking everything wonderful about Christmas. Leave that to the Grinch. Ryan, do you have anything you want to add? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when it was kind of fashionable to sort of joke about this song as being like a little like, oh, hey, hey, dude, is maybe there's some like sinister motivation behind this? Like, oh, ha, you can read into that. And then all of a sudden it was like people stopped thinking that was a joke and yeah, everybody yeah. just assumed that this was a song about it. And I was like, no, no, you guys, no. It's like, look at the lyrics. She has agency throughout this whole thing. She's not being manipulated. Everything that happens is her making a decision for herself or an excuse yes. for what she's going to tell her parents about the, like the decisions that she's making. He's not forcing her. Yeah. And I mean, he's, you know, I mean, he, he wants something. So he's, you know, he's saying, he's like, you know, it's really snowy out there. You know, yeah. you might not be able to get a cab and, you know, he's, you know, he's definitely, he, he wants something, but he's not, drugging her he's not poisoning her drink or anything like that no he's being playful i mean he even says like think of my lifelong sorrow if you got pneumonia and died like that's you know it's all playful it's hyper yeah yeah. i do think i mean this version by michael buble and adina menzel it does have sort of a a complicated like insert in the middle of it when she says you're very pushy and he says i like to think i'm opportunistic yeah okay maybe (laughs) you didn't need to add that part, but still it's (laughs) It's like, yeah, but, but yeah, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I think this is a fun and playful song. Um, and the people who read something sinister are, are over, over exaggerating and, and deliberately misreading what the text is actually saying. But, yeah. So, so, but I don't want to, I don't want to end this, uh, this amazingly fun podcast and, you know, I don't want to be so negative. So just, uh, the footnote to this whole description about the song is I love this song. I love mm-hmm. this song. I've sang it for karaoke before at Christmas time. I've done it. I, you know, I've done it with a bunch and it's fun. The back and forth banter when I've done it with girlfriends and just random girls at bars in karaoke bars and settings and stuff around Christmas time over 20 years. And it's a fun cat and, you know, cat and mouse game. It's really, it's, it's a playful song. I, I've seen it and I've heard it done with the gender swapped. Actually, there was um, I, I don't I don't too. remember what the special was, but there was a televised thing. It was Lady Gaga and Joseph Gordon-Levitt actually doing it. Yeah. Um, with Lady yeah. Gaga singing the traditional male part, and and, and yeah, she wasn't gonna. Yeah, she didn't want him to leave. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. So long story short, you know, it's I. Yeah, I, I love this song. I have a lot of versions of the song. I love I love singing it with people. I love listening to it on various playlists. And it kind of just, you know, all things considered, it just kind of breaks my heart that people are trying to make it be something that it's not. And that's just not fair. It's 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 just not fair. This song this song should continue to be played on holiday radio stations because, you know, for all the reasons I described. Right. 
And and for, for everybody listening, if you hate this song, if you don't like this song, that's fine. But hate it for the right reasons. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't you don't have to love the song if you don't like it, but don't hate it or dislike it because you think the song is saying something that it's not. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like for example, if you're a maiden aunt and you give, if you've been accused of being vicious, you know, they, yeah, of course you can take offense to this song. Sure. If you just naturally dislike duets or <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. Uh yeah, that, those are our Christmas lists for a very daily Christmas volume three. So yeah, all of these uh, all of these tracks will be available on uh the latest playlist. Uh and I want to give a very special holiday shout out to a friend of the podcast, Michael Bradley. Uh he has been doing on his own. He came up with it and, and I thank him all the time. Um, but he has been cultivating or sorry, he has been curating our uh, Spotify playlists for every episode, uh putting up the the songs. And um, so hopefully he will be doing that again. And yeah, big shout out. Merry Christmas to Michael Bradley. Merry Christmas to all of you guys, listeners. Uh, Same as always, you can leave us comments on Facebook, Twitter, or the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Give us your, your, your feedback. We always love hearing your, uh, your Christmas song selections. Is there anything new that you've heard? Yeah, I like I, I I personally I think I think that I love the feedback for this particular series that we, this this annual podcast that we do more than all others because I think we get the most suggestions back. You know, mm-hmm. I I love that aspect of it and I want to incorporate more. I want I'm always on the search. So when people turn me on to a new song or you know even if it, you know just in the comments like last year or after the first or second year, there were probably 20, 20 different comments, you know, of songs that maybe I had heard, I'd not heard, or maybe I heard, but forgotten about, or they weren't even on my like periphery kind of thing. I, I, I love, love, love hearing back from the people that listen to this. Right. And certainly the year 2020 has been a kick to the balls for a lot of people. And yes, it and, has right to the jingle balls. Right. Hopefully this, this holiday lifts your spirits, lifts your mood, gives you some sort of out, some release, some catharsis. Uh, and music has always been a big part of that. It's, it certainly has been for us. Hopefully it is for you too. So uh, if there's a kind of Christmas song or kind of Christmas music or Christmas specials, Christmas memories, uh, yeah. your favorite presents that you unwrapped, something about the season, uh, whether it's Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, other other holidays. Festivus. Yeah, Festivus. Something about this time. If there's if there's a way that that you can find solace and can find some peace, um, let us know. Spread that wealth, spread that joy uh, in, in the comments section. And uh, yeah, I think uh, we will put this one to bed. Uh, folks, you, you should be hearing from us one more time before the year is over, but uh, you'll definitely hear a very daily Christmas volume four in about 365 days or so. Give I'm already making my list. Can't wait. It's a world of Fire and Water Records is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. If you like this show but don't wish to support us through Patreon, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you download podcasts and leave a nice five-star review for Fire & Water Records. Every review helps push this podcast to a wider and wider audience. 
All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes and no copyright infringement is intended, including those that we sang ourselves. As always, thanks for listening. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. Just for this one day now. Well, then maybe the whole world just might. Maybe we might find a way to make this feeling last all year round. Don't you let the children down. Listen to me now. Whether you're agnostic, Muslim, Christian, or Jew, children of the world, they're depending on you. Let me say it again. It don't matter if you're black, you're white, you're blue, you're Chinese. Everybody, we got to get together, please. It's a world of love. We can have a world of love. All the beautiful people hanging out together. Hold a hand. Sing a song.